0: It was like a slow-motion experience in seeing this thing that I felt like I had totally wrapped up on that day and had done. I mean, I was... For the majority of that race, once I got, like, through the halfway mark, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've done it. And in getting to, like, mile 25, so just over a mile left, and I was... I mean, it was going to be down to seconds, whether I broke 245 and my, the lactic acid in my legs was blowing up and everything was tingling. I mean, like my vision was going, boy, like I was not in a good place. I was done. That was Carrie Mack and you're
1: listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 198. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. Today's guest, elite marathoner, Carrie Mack joins us to share the story of turning a seemingly impossible dream into reality. This episode was recorded in early March before the full force of COVID-19 pandemic hit us here in the U.S. So if the tone and topics of this conversation seem a bit removed from current events, not to mention the fact that we're actually recording together in person in Carrie's house, (laughs) that's why. I'm choosing to release it anyway in the hopes that maybe you are feeling the same way that I'm feeling, which is craving conversations and content that dig deep into non-coronavirus related subjects. Speaking of the deep conversations that happen here at Real Talk Radio, none of that would be possible without our Patreon community, since this show, as you probably know by now, is 100% listener funded. What does that mean? It means that we don't have any ads or sponsors. No one's trying to sell you anything to fix yourself or your life. That's not what we're about. Instead, each of these honest conversations is made possible by awesome, irregular people just like you, who've pledged $1 or more per episode over in our Patreon community. You can find us at patreon.com slash Antoinette and when you join, you'll get a bunch of fun bonuses. There are unique bonuses for each of the different funding tiers. So depending upon what kind of behind the scenes stuff you want access to, you can choose your funding tier. This show is and will always be free, but if you love it, if it makes you laugh, think, and feel less alone, and if you want these conversations to be able to continue, I hope that you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make that possible. And now, let's dive right into today's episode. Like I said, today you'll get to meet Carrie Mack. Carrie is an elite level marathoner and a member of Wazelle's all female training group, Little Wing Athletics, in Bend, Oregon. She's also the community engagement manager for the High Desert Food and Farm Alliance, an organization that believes good food should be accessible to everyone and that our food connects us to each other. In this episode, Carrie tells the whole story of what it took for her to qualify for the Olympic Trials Marathon. From the birth of that dream to setbacks, fears of disappointing people, all the hard work, small wins, injuries, Carrie is honest about it all. We talk about what it means to show up for yourself, how small daily actions can really add up to something much larger, the role of teamwork and community, and more. Carrie is a dear friend of mine, and it was an absolute joy to have this conversation with her. If you're in pursuit of your own seemingly impossible goal, or if that's something that's maybe on the horizon for you in the future, this is the episode for you. All of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at com. All right. We are good to go. Carrie. welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. It's such a treat to get to record in person. I almost never get to do this. The last time I recorded in person was in August when I was in the UK with Carly Ford. And now I get to be here now at our dining table. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, it's an extra treat to record in person. It's an extra treat to record with a good friend. So I am full of good feels and very grateful that you are here.
0: Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Oh, so
1: this episode won't be released until later in April, which is a little bit far out from where we are right now. But right now at this moment, we are sitting in your dining room, like Mm -hmm. I said, and it has been what, less than a week since you ran in the Olympic trials marathon?
0: It has been. I was actually earlier today at work, just kind of it hit me that a week ago at this time i was in a very anxious anxiety filled hotel with lots of other runners just kind of trying to dial in the day before a race so it, it like in a sense it's been very a small amount of time but it's also been almost a week so that also seems crazy
1: isn't it funny how like when it's an event that's big like that yeah. that you know, a couple of days in one direction or another, it's like, oh, the thing that I was waiting for or planning for or like looking forward to like is now over.
0: Yeah. That's hit me really hard because I think for so long in both literally and figuratively, February 29th was the finish line. And so there was definitely a part of me that didn't think at all about time after that like in any way so even just to think about like looking at the calendar and it being March I'm like oh my gosh like February 29th has been the day so just kind of moving past that is has been interesting
1: yeah it's like one of those I think about it in terms of if there's an event that's so big that you can't see past it yeah totally that's like life does not exist exactly past it, but of course it yeah does. I mean yeah and you then, still have to go yeah. to the
0: grocery store. You right. still have to show up for other things. You right. Still have
1: to. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we're going to kind of go way back and like pull at this thread. But before we go back, I'm interested how has the post-big event feeling, like emotional landscape in for you. I feel like the, I mean, my only real way to relate to this is with like after long hikes, right? When they talk Uh about post-trail depression of the, you know, you're doing this thing, you're doing this thing, you're doing this thing, and it can be really grounding and really motivating. And like your whole everyday existence is built around, you know, on trail, like walk from point A to point B, don't die. And then you get to point B and you didn't die. And then it's like, oh my God, now what? Right.
0: Yeah. I definitely, and I kind of know to expect this at this point, having done not a ton of marathons, but this was my eighth marathon, um, that there is kind of a post-race blues that sets in. And so it was a little... Heavier this time, just because of the the stage at which the marathon trials was, but I I think I've handled it okay, and you know I think we'll get into this, but my build up to this race looked very differently than what I thought with injury and some other things. So I had already kind of gone through that process of you know I don't it's not all about this day in a performance lens, and I'm really happy that I executed the race incredibly well and immediately was excited about continuing training and kind of like looking forward to what's next. Um so I, I didn't feel sadness in that way. It just kind of left me fired up. But you know, post travel and just body wise and energy wise kind of had a lull for a few days. Yeah. So yeah. Which completely makes sense, yeah. right? Like
1: and also it's one of those things where it's okay to feel however it is that we feel. If you're sad after something's over, if, you know, there's like melancholy, if it feels almost like a little bit
0: unmoored, you know, that, okay. Yeah. Unmoored is a really good, like just kind of foggy. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing now. (laughs) I mean, I feel like it's the, one of the most uncomfortable parts
2: of
1: like what I would call the goal cycle, right? If you look at something, something being cyclical, right? Of the pursuit of something. Yeah. And, yeah, maybe it's really uncomfortable. And also, we can't be gunning
0: hard all right. the time. Like, there
1: has to be. I don't yeah. like that that's true, right?
0: But, yeah. <laughs> well, and unfortunately the question that everybody wants to ask is what's next? Yeah, I know. When I was preparing for this interview, I was like, don't ask her what's next. So yeah,
1: I'm like, well, I'm just going to, you know, relax for a little right. bit. Which, You're like, can I lay down? Please? Can I watch yeah. Netflix actually? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I want to go back in time and sort of follow this topic or like this thread of running in your life a bit. Do you remember when you first felt like you were taking it seriously?
0: Well, I, I joined – the first opportunity I had to be in a team environment was in middle school for middle school track, which I definitely did and was very excited about. Um, But before that, I think think this is unique. My family, my dad and my stepmom were very into like 5K, 10K road races, so – like from a pretty early age in elementary, on Saturdays, we would go as a family and register for, you know, whatever random 5K in Southwest Missouri and run. So I loved that. And I didn't know that that was potentially unusual that, you know, to wake up early and to go as a group and to get your bib number and You know, have your little four safety pins that you pin on your t shirt, and then you get behind the starting line. And I have no idea what type of pace I was running, but that wasn't really the point of it at that time. And I loved, you know, everybody got ribbons, and occasionally I would win a like an age group award, and I loved it. And it kind of like sucked up most of the Saturday in a really beautiful way that was family time it was community time it was you know getting to move your body outside and yeah and then it just kind of carried into being on the middle school track team I think I can say that is not how I spent Saturdays <laughs> as a kid. That is not anything yeah, my parents so ever did. The problem of having all of these random race T-shirts hanging in your closet and dressers started at a very early age for me. So yeah. My dad actually this weekend, he traveled to watch me um, race in Atlanta and he brought what he claims is the very first Community 5K that I ever participated in. He had that race T-shirt that he had like found, dug out of I don't even know what kind of place and brought it to Atlanta, which was pretty funny. Oh my God. That's sweet. Yeah.
1: I would like to put in a formal request for photos of (laughs) like young baby (laughs) Carrie's like first couple of races, if that exists somewhere. Giant
0: glasses. Yeah. The whole bit. I would very much like to
1: see family at the 5k (laughs) photos, (laughs) whether just personally or for Joe. I can can see what I can do to make that happen. (laughs) Yeah. I'm interested in how you view your evolution as a competitor? Because it sounds like this started as a fun family thing. And you said, oh, you know, I won age groups and stuff sometimes. But was there a switch where you're like, oh, I'm actually really talented at this? Or did you feel that way? Was there a time where you were like, if I
0: work harder, then I can beat people? Like, was, was there like yeah. a competitive thing in Yeah, there? definitely. And I think the thing that just clicks in my brain with running is that it's very objective and logical, you know, like you run whatever specific distance someone is timing you and then you can, especially for track, easily compare from one race to the other. I've always been um, more inclined or more interested to race against myself or the clock, I guess. Um, And that's something I really worked on in the last few years, kind of coming back into running competitively and really trying to hone in how to race the field and compete in that way versus I mean I'm much more comfortable just knowing how I'm competing against myself and previous best times and that kind of thing but I think in middle school it was much more just kind of a joyful friendship activity thing and then kind of moving into high school um, really kind of figuring out that, oh, I actually am pretty good at this, and I really love how I feel when I'm excelling. And there was, for the most part, a pretty linear return to if I work harder at this, I'm going to get faster at this. And so that I kind of thrived with that as well. And I had a really great team environment and coach environment on both the girls' and boys' side in middle school and high school. And so it was a very close net friend group as well. And we were all kind of encouraging of each other. And uh, and I just love racing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm interested. It's funny to hear you say that you love racing sort of on the heels of saying that you prefer racing against yourself. Yeah. Why do you think that is?
0: I don't know. I wish I could answer that because I feel like it would allow me to do better. <laughs> to race better against a field. I think part of it has to do with accountability. Like I know what I've done to prepare myself and be ready for race day. And I have all of the historical data about what I've done up to that point to, you know, use to justify whether I'm ready to run faster or whatever. But I've, used it talked about it in this way before that there's a point in a race for me where I kind of I call it doing mental math mind fucks where I'm like just trying to like evaluate like oh is this matching what I think I'm capable of or what has happened before you know workout wise or training wise does this equation work and in a race that's totally useless like you just need to go yeah so um teaching myself to turn that off and really just you know assess my surroundings and my ability on that day and what else is happening around me and execute that way so it's it's definitely a focus that I've um, put more emphasis on in the last few years yeah I I mean, I'm
1: not, as your friend, I'm not surprised to hear you say that you don't feel like particularly competitive, right? You don't really like put that vibe off. Yeah. (laughs) And, and yet I find that that can be true. And then also, you know, with like, maybe you're not competitive in the rest of your life, but like something then switches with running. Like do you, in the last couple of years, as you've been trying to focus on this more, do you ever have the like, oh, I want to beat these checks, like in this race feeling? Um,
0: not not too terribly specifically like against other people, but more kind of like if you zoom out and and I would think like I want to place in whatever position with this field versus like I want to be this person and this person and this person. I think I can use, you know, knowing what I know about other women in the race, I can kind of. Think about, you know, I I should be up with this person. And then, you know, at the end when I'm saying, you know, I have however many miles or minutes left, like there are three people in sight and I want to beat those three people um, or I think you know I believe that I can do that, but um, I don't like sit at home. You know, saying I don't have like a dark board so. with papers. No, yeah, let okay. no. I me mean, be clear.
1: That sounds healthy, right? <laughs> like I don't know that that's, <laughs> Oh, I guess. But I guess whatever works for different people. So you ran in middle school. You ran in high school. Then what?
0: Uh, then I ran in college, and I was recruited somewhat. I wasn't any sort of special level of talent that was heavily recruited. Um, and in that I remember, so the summer before my senior year, I was come hell or high water leaving the state of Missouri and going to the East coast for school. And so my parents were incredibly supportive and I was very lucky to have access to resources and be able to really pick what school that I was going to go to. And I had, you know, for whatever algorithm we had come up with, balancing academics and athletics and location and whatever else Um, we my mom and my brother and I went on this very long road trip that summer and I had set up scholarship interviews and met with coaches and campus tours for six to eight different schools and going into that trip I was so excited and I you know done my research and I got home and I just didn't feel attached to any single school that we looked at. And I started to get very nervous. (laughs) And my best friend from high school was a year ahead of me. So she had just graduated and she was going to the state school in our hometown and was running cross country. And which to me was amazing because she was still in town, but like I had not ever once thought, oh, I could just go to the state school. It's in my backyard. And so that fall, my senior year of high school, I was running cross country in high school and hanging out with my friend and her new friend group of the college cross country men and women's team. And so I just very naturally like fell into this group. And without even being really conscious that it had happened, I knew that I wanted to go to that school. And I came home and just cried <laughs> and apologized to my mom, who I'm very close to. And because I felt like I had, you know, everybody had put all this energy towards me making this very important decision. And at the end of the day, I just wanted to stay right there. Yeah. And. I felt like I was disappointing everyone, and my mom was secretly thrilled. (laughs) I was going to say, I (laughs) don't think your mom minded. Happy, Um, and but she was like, "Well, you're definitely moving and living on campus," and it ended up being the best decision I could have made. It was kind of a mix for like athletically, it was a mix between you know I didn't I didn't walk on the team, and I wasn't the best person, but I did you know by the time I graduated, I was one of the like the best distance runner and one of the top runners in the conference. And I just had a really lovely experience with the women on that team. The coaching experience was hit or miss. But um, to that day, the people that I met through through running with my school and college are some of my best friends. And it's also where I met my husband. So it seems like it was worked out. It worked out. Yeah. Isn't it funny
1: though how like the thing you think is the thing sometimes is just not. And you don't know until you know. And like, I've had those moments too where it's, well, if only I would have known this sooner, if only I would have realized then I wouldn't have wasted this person's time. I wouldn't have wasted this money or, and I mean that, I feel like that's such a human thing, you know, I'm not just with potentially college, but with so many, with careers or moving places or even getting, you know, a certain uh, depth into a relationship and in just all these things you don't, you don't know. And, You're allowed to change your mind, essentially. And I feel like that's so much easier to say to each other than it is to say to yourself. Right? That it's like, well, sure, you're allowed to change your mind, but I'm not. Right? right? Like, what's wrong with me that I don't have the crystal ball that
0: I figured it out? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah, that's something I'll probably eternally struggle with. But... um. I mean, I think you're not the only one, right? (laughs) But it's... But I mean, we want to know
1: what's coming. Yeah. And we want to know what the best choice is going to be. And something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how... I want to think and logic my way to the solution and not to say that research is not helpful or that, you know, logic isn't a great tool to rely on, but I have just found more and more, it's funny, this came up in a couple of the episodes in March, that the experience of like being in your body, right? Mm -hmm. Like what does this decision feel like in the body, right? Like, am I feeling really light and expansive when I think about this? Am I feeling really tight and constricted and kind of, like you said, you just organically fell into that team. And you couldn't – it didn't necessarily make sense on paper and no. leaving room and I for was, that. Yeah, is, I was trying
0: yeah. so hard not – like, yeah. I did not want that to happen. Mm-hmm. And then it was all that I wanted. Like, Can you think of another, like, time in your life
1: when something like that was true? Where it was like, <sighs> okay, this is the path I think that I'm going to follow, you know, X, Y, or Z. And then all of a sudden, oop, left turn.
0: Um, well, so I went straight from undergrad to grad school and what did you study? I studied public administration with an emphasis in nonprofit management. Rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. Very very sexy yeah.
1: <laughs> academic yes. focus. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, and then I was really excited about kind of finally getting through school and then having that first experience of finding my re- first real job and like the interview process and you know finding my feet as an adult. And then took about as sharp of a whatever kind of turn you call what happened is. But um, I ended up with my, at the time, fiance, now husband, Travis. We bought a Canadian fishing lodge and spent our summers in Canada for eight, years. You have to provide some context <laughs>
1: here because I feel like yes that's a left turn but you are in undergrad and you're studying the thing that rolls off the tongue right yeah. that you just said and running competitively
0: and then grad school and then at what where along the way are you like let's buy a Canadian fishing lodge. I don't know that I ever said let's buy a Canadian fishing lodge but I was being a very supportive partner and you know trying to be up for whatever can happen um, but really really resisted the loss of getting that kind of idyllic post-education experience that I had kind of put on this pedestal and fought against that a little bit because I felt like I had earned that and I was waiting for it and I was ready for it. And then it never, it just like vaporized. It wasn't a thing that was going to happen in my life, especially comparing to all of my peers who had just done a similar thing. And they were, you know, in the first few years of their first professional work, you know, they're working and, but, you know, a few years into doing the fishing lodge, I was kind of like, oh, I actually don't want to have to work all the time (laughs) for somebody else in a very kind of more traditional way. So. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, there's so much in there that we can talk about because when I first found out that that was a thing in the past, like, oh yeah, we just owned this, like fishing lodge in the wilderness for eight years. like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> and I feel like you, similar to me, have a very winding career path, mm-hmm. right? At That potentially, you know, what you studied isn't what you immediately went into. Or, yeah. you know, like I think when you were describing um, sort of that vision of I'm going to graduate and I'm going to go on interviews and I'm going to, you know, going to have this job. Yeah. I mean, for me, I was a food studies major at NYU and obviously I, I love food and that's you know, I love cooking. That's something that I like personally yes. enjoy, but there were plenty of options to go into different food-related fields. Right. And I wound up, you know, as the director of a children's summer day camp for yeah. five years. And yeah. like when I think back on that, I mean, if I with the sort of retrospective knowledge that I have, I would have made different choices, right? In in some of these arenas. But it is interesting how you can be on this path, especially if you're someone who was raised with sort of the traditional um like markers of success, right? In terms of academics, you know, what was expected by my parents was you do well in school and then you get into the best college and then you go to that college and then you, you know, get the best job. You can't kind of keep going up that and at some point, I apparently just took a different turn and it's led in really interesting directions. But I can really relate to what you're saying about sort of the emotional side of watching a lot of your peers do a thing that you thought that you were going to do and feeling maybe sad about that. But then also, like you said, realizing, Oh, this is a good fit for me. Yeah. Did you feel like you were kind of grappling with like an identity change sort of? Yeah.
0: It was really, I think I'm just generally a people pleasing person. (laughs) And so to, Fall outside of what is supposed to be happening. Whether I don't even, I can't even confidently say that anyone in my life was saying, like, you need to do this next, or this is how this order of things should happen. But it was something, it was a story I was telling myself based on a multitude of things. So that was very uncomfortable for me because it, I just didn't feel like, this, this isn't right. This isn't what's next. This isn't what I've expected to happen. And I, I'd i like to sit here and tell you that I'm totally over that behavior, but I have gotten a lot better, I think.
1: <laughs> so. Do you feel at all, I don't know if regretful is the right word,
0: but like, do you wish you had made different choices
1: in any of these points along the way?
0: Talk, thinking about like that part of my life, the only regret I have is I really wish I would have been able to study abroad in school. And because of being a college athlete in a D1 school, there aren't a lot of examples of that happening very successfully. So it wasn't even really something that I knew to consider. I mean, no one was telling, like, encouraging me to try to figure out how to do that mm-hmm. because it would impact whatever season was coming up next. So that is something that I wish I could have done. Yeah, I, I think, do we talk about the gap year thing?
1: Did I tell you about this? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. So my new, I, this is definitely the first time I've talked about it on the podcast. I can't remember if we talked about it when we went on that little walk, hike, whatever that was last week. Um, You know how in, it's like common in Australia uh-huh. or in Europe yeah. for, you know, 18 yeah. year olds to take a gap year between high school and university. I never did anything like mm-hmm. that. Similar to you, you know, it was just like on this path and I'm turning 35 this year and I have this, I guess, not so secret dream now that I'm telling you and telling <laughs> talking about it on the podcast but, that I want to take a grown up gap year.
0: Yeah. That
1: I have this dream of like, what if, you know, you didn't do it at 18 and at 35, you were able to take a gap year. Amazing! And of course the finance would have to line up Mm -hmm. and, you know, it would mean putting the podcast on hold for a while and, you know, a a lot of other things. But I'm in this place where I'm trying to just like allow dreams and ideas, even if they seem impossible to come in. And so even what you said about, oh, I didn't get to study abroad, like there's part of that for me too of... It's not too late. Yeah, in certain. I mean, some yeah. things the time I has passed, that. but like sometimes it hasn't. Right.
0: Yeah. I. I think if I would have had the op- or the chance to do have a gap year experience after high school, things would have maybe been very different. <laughs> well, if you'd like to join me on <laughs> some of my fantasy
1: thirty-five year old gap year, yeah. Um, so when you were running, owning and owning the fishing lodge, mm-hmm. were you still running? Like, what happened after kind oh. of collegiate? competitive running?
0: I took a break for sure. I was kind of burnout. I was burnout. And so I didn't run much in grad school. And I mean, I would occasionally just pretty recreationally go out for a run, but wasn't focused in any way. And then at the lodge, so where we were in, we were in Northwest Ontario and pretty much off the grid. And it wasn't technically an island, but it felt like we were on an island. So there I just couldn't actually run where we were, and through kind of a few years after collegiate running, I really missed I missed moving my body in that way, and then I really missed having that team community uh, and so I signed up for a marathon with a training plan off the internet, thinking like this will be a really cool like life experience checkbox off the old bucket list type thing. like, Mm -hmm. And it just kind of gave me focus and structure to get back into running and connect with the local running store. And we were living in Illinois at that time. How long ago was this? Um, I should be able to tell you what year, but probably 2012 or 2013. So that's when you ran your first marathon. Yeah. Okay. And I really loved training for it. And it just kind of reinvigorated me in this way that I do really well with a structured training plan and, you know, the more lung capacity I get, the better I feel. And just kind of it feeds on itself and in a way that, I don't know, I just respond really well to. And so I – and, you know, like my family made a big deal out of me signing up for my first marathon and my mom and my stepdad flew from California to come watch me do it. And I I just loved it so much. And it was – I was running so effortlessly for the majority of the race. And people talk about, oh, you know, you hit the wall and all this stuff. And I in, – in, in my training, I had never once – had water on a run or done any type of fueling or anything. And so in the race I was like, I don't need any I don't need anything. And so I was well under my goal. I I had set my goal to beat my husband Travis's marathon time and he had completed one marathon in like 3 hours and 17 minutes or something. I was like, oh, I just want to beat his time. <laughs> There's and, that competitive and, spirit, right?
1: So, I'm not competitive with anyone except my husband's <laughs> marathon <right>. time. <laughs> the and truth comes that's out. That's true.
0: And I was well underpaced to do that. And then I hit the wall, and it was unbelievable. It was like an out of body experience. It was so terrible and amazing. And I just, I it is a miracle to this day that I was able to finish that race because. My, like my arms and legs felt like they were just blowing up like balloons. And I was, I mean, I looked at my watch and I knew I was, if you would have told me I was running whatever minute pace at the end of that race, I, I don't know. It was inconceivable to me how much I had slowed down, but I was still like, I knew I was moving forward because the scenery was changing ever so <laughs> slightly. <laughs> and I crossed the finish line in three minutes, three hours and 18 minutes. And I was so, Angry. <laughs> I mean, I was thrilled because I had finished, and I do believe that anyone who decides they're interested in running a marathon, the only appropriate goal for your first one is to finish with a smile on your face. And so, I was a little pissed that I hadn't run faster than Travis, but it took me about ninety seconds, and I was like, I can't wait to do that again. Okay, I mean, it was immediate almost, and I. Since then, that's been kind of, I just knew the marathon was my thing. But I think your initial question was Was I able to run in Canada? And it took some creativity to make that happen. I kind of like when we went up each season, which we would head up in May, you know, I I wasn't going to be able to train in any focused way for anything. But it's really important for me, just for my overall health and mental health, to be able to have exercise outside. So anytime we would have a town trip day where we would boat into town where there are roads, (laughs) I would, as much as possible, be the person to make that town trip. So I would sneak, not sneak, but um, take time or build in time as best as possible to be able to run while I was running whatever errands in town. And then the last few years that we were there, we actually had a treadmill. Mm. Um, So I was able to run a little bit more consistently. So, I mean, it wasn't – compared to the amount I'm running now, it wasn't very much. But at the time, it was probably life-saving on a daily basis to be able to do that. Yeah. So your first
1: marathon was like seven or eight years ago, Mm -hmm. right? That's a pretty significant chunk of time. Tell me about the first time that you told someone out loud that you wanted to try to qualify for the Olympic
0: trials marathon. Well, you were probably in the room because it was a soup night. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I had just – Travis and I had just uh, traveled down – It was December of 2017, and we had just returned from watching one of my college teammates, um, Jamie, a dear friend of mine. She had raced the California International Marathon and had qualified for the trials. And so we had gone down to watch her, and it reignited something in me watching that race. And partially because of her incredible race, but the women running that day, and there were a lot of – Um, Olympic trials qualifiers um, that day was moving it was so incredible just the strength that they had and I had kind of, it was right when we moved to Ben and I kind of like was feeling ready to, I'd run the same time in a marathon kind of back to back and hadn't really gotten faster and I was like you know maybe maybe that is what it is and I was starting to feel ready to move to more trail stuff and that felt interesting to me and then I watched that race and I was like, no, I, I'm not done with this. So we were at Soup Night the week after that race. And Lauren Fleshman was there, who I was at the time still probably a little timid around, but had met her a few times. And um, she had asked me, you know, what was going on. And I had said we'd gone to watch this race. And then I like word vomited. <laughs> That's what it felt like. I was like, I can't believe I'm saying these words to Lauren Fleshman right now. <laughs> How embarrassing is this going to be? And I said, yeah, it makes me really feel like I want to, like, start training a little more seriously. I feel like maybe I could do this. And she was like, well, that's cool. You know, I don't know what she said exactly. But she had a positive response in a way that kind of, yeah, I just it made me excited in a way that I hadn't been first like a personal goal like that in a long time. Yeah. I vividly remember standing in front of Collier's
1: fridge at that soup night and you were telling me about going down and watching Sam yeah. and you were lit up. I didn't realize that was the first time you <laughs> we had talked about it to other yeah. people, but that memory is very strong in yeah. my mind. And it's interesting when you were talking about, um, how, Impactful, even maybe in a quiet way, Lauren's positive reaction was to you. That, like, I've been thinking a lot lately as well about just sort of how we respond to each other's Mm -hmm. big dreams, not necessarily each other like just you and I, right? Yeah. But people in general, right? That I I can be so quick within myself to be self-doubting mm-hmm. or, you know, to have this wild idea, even, you know, the gap year thing. I kind of said yeah. that jokingly, but I think I had the idea, felt like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Felt that lit up feeling. Yeah. And then within, I don't know, a minute and a half came all the list of reasons why that wouldn't be possible. right? right? And even if that's the case, it's like I shut it down so quickly mm-hmm. and I I'm trying – I mean, I'm trying not to do that to myself, and I'm particularly trying not to do that to other people too yeah. because especially when it's like a, like a new dream or like a baby idea or maybe it's the first time you've said it out loud, you know, not to say that there aren't – there isn't like a time and place for maybe a little reality check, right, right. or tough love or any of those type of things, but that – I mean, Lauren probably doesn't even remember that conversation or doesn't, didn't remember that she said anything, right. that was, you know, but like, that, yeah. that idea that how we
0: respond to or how we encourage each other matters. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Especially when, I mean, I think nonverbal encouragement and how you respond to people is very important also, but there's, there's a special power in just saying the words out loud and you know, I said word vomit, but it there is kind of like a, ooh, like I can't take that back. It's out in the world now. I said it. And it's mm-hmm. like reverberating out in a way that I think kind of turns it into something different. Yeah, I think so yeah. too. So for folks
1: who aren't familiar with the workings of elite level marathoning, will you um, just quickly break down
0: what qualifying for this race entails? So for the 2020 marathon trials, which is what just happened, they that qualifying window opened, I think, in... Fall 2017. And so there are standards, time standards, that runners have to run in sanctioned races that have been approved by USATF, I think is probably who approves that. And so for this. Olympic cycle that uh, is happening now. Those standards. There's a A standard, um, which was uh, for women. It was running under two thirty-seven for the two hours, two hours and thirty-seven, hours 37, and 37 minutes. minutes. And the B, which is st- very fast. <laughs> <laughs> the B standard was uh, running under two forty-five. And what's the difference between an A standard and a B standard, like practically so, speaking? I don't know that I can fully answer that in the past it has impacted how like the support you get to travel and compete in the trials and that shifted a little bit this year the atlanta track club hosted the trials in atlanta and it was the first time ever that they gave support to every qualifier whether they were a or b qualifier um, which was huge, especially given that there was no way for them to anticipate how many people were to qualify on the women's side. Um, it was a record number, wasn't it, was it this a year? Record number by like, like almost double. Yeah. It's like yeah, hundreds over, and hundreds of people over, on that start line. Over 500 yeah. women qualified, which is fantastic. So I should know more about the difference between the A and B standard, but I actually oh, don't. But also, <laughs> all of this is Googleable. I was just <laughs> off the top curious. Yeah. So it's mostly a time standard um, within a, A window of time right yeah so within
1: you know between this date and this date if you run faster than you know 245 it's the b standard if you run faster than 237 it's the standard yeah Yeah. um what mile pace is a two hour and 37 minute marathon
0: um that's like six minute pace okay yeah that's crazy talk um so
1: it's winter 2017 Mm -hmm. you have this dream Mm -hmm. to qualify what happens next
0: so I told Lauren Fleshman and then I told, I mean, no big deal. Like just casually talking to <laughs> Lauren Fleshman, telling her my scariest, biggest life dreams. Uh, and then talk to Travis. Cause there is some, you know, actual life logistics about if this is something I'm really going to put energy towards and invest my time and energy in can, can it happen in this partnership life that I have with Travis and He was without pause, 100%, like, you should do this if this is what feels important to you. So then I talked to some people about, I had not worked with a coach since college, and so talked to some people and got some recommendations of potential coaches I could work with, and Mel and Collier Lawrence, who are teammates of mine here in Bend with uh, Little Wing Athletics, they recommended someone to me. And so I just kind of cold called this person feeling very unworthy. Like, why would <laughs> why would this person consider coaching me? And met with Elliot Heath in Bend when he was on Christmas vacation with his family. And he was like, yeah, let's try it out. We'll see, see what happens. And so I got a coach. I kind of planned my days and weeks and just kind of schedule-wise really chunked out, like, time to make priority to get my training in. And then just started training, Yeah, I guess.
1: <laughs> you mentioned feeling unworthy when you called Elliot. Will you say more about that?
0: Um, I guess what I mean is – I didn't think that I had a lot of, va- like, valid accolades or, like, race performance or anything that would indicate to him that I was – that this was going to be a reasonable goal hmm. and that it was going to be worth his his time to help me work towards that goal. Did you – I mean, you must have believed that you could do it on some
1: level, otherwise you wouldn't have pursued it. But how real and realistic did it seem in your mind that you were going to be able to do this?
0: It, I felt very confident that I could get faster in the marathon if I really you know, kind of recommitted to training. And I mean, if you just do the same thing over and over again, it's going to eventually you're going to kind of flatten out. And so I felt like there were a lot of low-hanging fruit available, like – investing in a coach and adding in strength work and doing a lot of things to kind of reconfigure what training for a marathon could look like. So I was very confident that I could run faster than what I had at that time. I honestly had no idea if I would be able to break 245.
1: What was your fastest marathon to date at that time? Um,
0: 256.
1: Okay. Which, yeah, I mean – minutes like that's a big gap yeah right yeah okay yeah. so 256 you start training with this coach and then what was the first marathon that you ran after that when you were like okay i'm gonna give this a shot
0: so i didn't run a marathon we started working together in january of 2018 and i raced uh the chicago marathon that fall in october and that felt like eternity to me to wait that long but elliot was really clear that you know I'm only going to be as good as my foundation. And so um, we spent a lot of time just kind of building those foundation blocks of training and making sure that I was healthy and could manage a training load and like slowly build on what that looked like as far as miles per week and just kind of overall volume of gym time and all these different parts of it. And then he wanted, he was interested in me doing some shorter stuff earlier in that year. So, you know, I raced a 10K and I did some track races and I did a half marathon in the summer. So it was a very patient, kind of well thought out build up to get to that full marathon distance.
1: Yeah. It's uh, when you were talking about how between January and October felt like an eternity Mm -hmm. to you. I mean, I think there's, there's something that's so relatable in that of you're really fired up about the yeah. possibility of a thing, yeah. right? And it feels like there's a lot of momentum, and you have the dream. Yeah, and I'm there's, like no,
0: I just said I want to do this marathon thing, so let's do that.
1: Right, let's do that now. And then <laughs> no, but I mean, I think if we kind of take this out of the realm of running for a second, I and mean, obviously it applies to running, but it applies to you know goal setting in general, right? I would imagine writing a book or doing mm-hmm. like do, basically creating any thing, whether it's like something you're doing with your body, right, athletically yeah. or, you know, a body of work, right, yeah. that it, you have the excitement and the motivation. And like, it's it's almost like a sort of the narrative of this is like a broken record. It's like, well, what do you do when the motivation wears off, right? Yeah. It's like, we all know what it feels like to be really excited. Mm-hmm. And then to sort of be faced with,
0: oh, Okay, I have to do the, one thousand things right. first. Right, the gap
1: between like where <laughs> yeah. I am right now and where I want to be yeah. is like seemingly infinite. Yeah, and so I would love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, you were talking about logistically what you were doing, right? Like he was giving you, you know, workouts and training plans, mm-hmm. and you were doing that, and you were running with people here and mm-hmm. doing these shorter races, right? Those are sort of like the tangible building blocks, mm-hmm. but from that sort of like emotional perspective. Mm-hmm what was that like? Like, did you feel like there was a dip in motivation? Was it really daunting? Was it like mm. just sort of from the initial super fired up, right? Like talking to people at soup night to be like, yeah. Oh fuck,
0: just a lot of work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't remember losing. I don't remember like dipping below a baseline of motivation that felt like important to maintain, to do the work required to chase after this goal. I'm incredibly fortunate that I had access to this group of women training at an elite level in Bend that were very open to me showing up and joining them when I could. And so that was huge from the motivation perspective because I had people checking in with me and, you know, as best as they could, rearranging their schedules so I could fit in because I was still working full time. And I think I'm just naturally very internally motivated as a person. So, um, I mean, I'm very accountable. Like if you tell me to do whatever training on my weekly schedule, I will do – to the T, exactly what it says in there, to like a fault. That's funny.
1: Paul's like (laughs) that too. I remember when he started working with a cycling coach, he was like, I'm actually going
2: to
0: do all of this. So only put it in there if you, you know what I mean? And And I I knew that about myself in in the marathons I had done previously um, and used, you know, just training plans off the internet, which there are a lot of great ones out there. But I, one of the things I was most interested in having a coach do was to help me, almost like rein me in. Um, so, you know, being able to provide close to live time feedback about, you know, hey, it looks like you're not getting as much sleep as you typically do. Like maybe we should adjust some stuff and helping guide me in that way mm-hmm. um, to to make smart decisions so that I could, in the long game, keep moving forward
1: Yeah, I appreciate that you said that you feel like you're naturally kind of internally Mm self-motivated because I think that so much of the how do we close the gap between what we say we want and what we actually do question, Mm -hmm. of course, there isn't one answer to that. But I think that it is a helpful reminder that some things come easier to certain people than others, right? Not to say there aren't other things that are maybe challenging for you that aren't for me or vice versa, right? Of course, we're all different. But I think that sometimes just the reminder that like if someone's finding something particularly hard, it's not necessarily that other people have some secret that you don't have. Like it might just be easier for them. Like I've had this, a similar conversation with um, people who were friends of mine who work more kind of like traditional Mm -hmm. employment. Right. That say things along the lines of, you know, I couldn't work for myself. Like I need to have someone that I'm accountable to as far as like a boss or mentor. And that makes so much sense. And you know, it's not that I have some secret willpower hack. Like I think, I'm just well-suited right. to working for myself. And so it's it's almost like a both-and. Yeah. Sure, there can be skills. There can be things that you work on. But I always appreciate when people are willing to be honest about essentially luck, right? That, <laughs> and not luck, but that if you are that way, that's yeah. one less thing that you have to fight against in order yes, to make things definitely. happen. And I, I don't know. So I appreciate you saying that.
0: And I think also, I mean, again, back to luck, that I, for the most part, in 2018, I didn't have any major hiccups. I mean, I consistently got positive reinforcement, both internally and externally, that what I wanted to do was working. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So So
1: you do do all of this kind of mental, emotional, logistical, physical uh prep. You get to the Chicago
0: Marathon. And what happens? I was pretty nervous. I knew that I was in the best shape of my life. And that I had a lot of stuff to look back on in 2018 that kind of reiterated that this was possible and valid and could definitely happen, but it f- it felt like pressure, and the logistics and just kind of you know showing up, traveling to a race, and it's a world marathon, and there are what feels like millions of people everywhere. <laughs> And just logistically, it was pretty mentally taxing to manage all of that and try to stay, like, hyper-focused and only positive self-talk and, like, all of these things, making sure that I'm fully prepared. And I feel like I was equally nervous and excited, but that did – like, the nerves were heavy for sure. And the race – and I knew that I was ready for and was going to be trying to do something that I had not even ever come close to trying to do before. So it just felt very foreign, like just unknown. <laughs> and so I didn't know how that would feel. And it turns out it felt really good for 18 miles. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, I learned so much in that race. And I just, I got a little... Too excited in probably miles sixteen to twenty two, and my my coach did a great job preparing me for that race and kind of coming up with a race strategy that made a lot of sense for where I was, um, fitness and experience wise at that time. And I just I kind of like pushed it to the edge a little too early, so I was well under pace for almost the entire race to hit that. Olympic trials qualifying time. And got a little hot and excited kind of in the back half. And then the last 5K was really hard. (laughs) And I was just, I mean, I was totally toast. I was, there was nothing left. I had overextended to what I was ready to do pace-wise a little bit. And, but still had like even with three miles to go, I had time to like wiggle room to keep slowing down, and that's when I you know those mental math mind fucks I was talking about, like trying to like okay, you know what can I run on this mile and still like get to the finish line in under two forty five and I was doing that, which takes its own energy to do in those race scenarios, and it was. Like a slow motion experience in seeing this thing that I felt like I had totally wrapped up on that day and had done. I mean, I was for the majority of that race, once I got like through the halfway mark, I was like, oh my gosh, this I've done it. And in getting to like mile 25, so just over a mile left, and I was, I mean, it was going to be down to seconds whether I broke 245 and my. The lactic acid in my legs was blowing up and everything was tingling. I mean, like, my vision was going <laughs> blur. Like, I was not in a good place. I was done. And at the the race in Chicago, you, right at the finish, you make a, a right turn and there's this burny little hill that I had run on my shakeout the day before. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's like no problem at all. And I, and it's right at like 400 meters to go. And I turned and it was, just a mountain. I mean, I I don't know how I stood up. Like I don't know how I made it up that hill, not crawling up that hill. It was. It seemed impossible. And I. So you do that burning little hill, and then you make a left turn, and you can see the finish line, and you're like, there. It's 400 meters, and they have a clock at mile 26, and I saw the time on the clock, and I that was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, I might not I might not break 245. And so, I mean, at that point, you're just, you're running on whatever fumes and dreams and whatever else, just trying to cross the line. And they have a giant clock at the finish that everybody's looking at. And I was sprinting as hard as I could, which probably was not Fast at all. And I watched it roll over to 245, 245. 245.01. And I was just baffled. I just really didn't understand how I had messed up that badly. So I finished in 245.11, two hours, 45 minutes, and 11 seconds, which is 11 seconds short of qualifying for the trials. I can't with this story. Like, I, I
2: <laughs> but 11
1: seconds. Like, think about what, like, 11 seconds is, is nothing. nothing. It is like, nothing. I mean, you like blink a
0: couple times. Yeah. There are so many ways you can make up 11 seconds over 26 miles. But, but the other side of this story is that I also PR'd by 11 minutes that day. So I had done a thing I had never done. And I, I mean, yes, I was crushed because I had gotten to a place where I firmly believed I was ready to do this thing and that it was happening and that it had happened. And I just fell about as short as you can. But I but I also knew what running 245 pace felt like because I had technically done it. So it kind of – like that mystery went away and I was – I don't know. It was a very complicated day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine because obviously like the celebration of running 11 minutes faster, right, in that distance than you Mm -hmm. ever had. And then the disappointment of being 11 seconds too slow to meet the qualifier. Like there's just a lot wrapped up in that.
0: Yeah. It was – so when you run a marathon, what happens right after you cross the line is – someone usually asks you if you're okay and kind of helps you get through the first, I don't know, 20 meters or so. And then someone else hands you one of those shiny space blankets that help keep you warm. And then someone else hands you a bottle of water and then someone else hands you a medal and you're kind of just like corralled through what can be half a mile or more of trying to get through this finish line system. And usually you're by yourself and you've just like done this very incredible mentally and physically taxing thing and you're all alone. And so I was really hard on myself in that finished corral. And I got back to the tent, got my stuff and got my phone and was pretty upset. And I called Travis, my husband, and I just started crying and saying, I'm sorry. (laughs) And I feel like I'm going to cry right now. And he was like, he was immediately like oh my gosh you did an incredible job it was such a huge PR like what are you talking about and I was like I've disappointed everyone like and that was such a it was an important moment for me because I am hardwired to say that I'm sorry and worry about disappointing other people and i didn't like what that felt like. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be excited about the PR of that day. Yeah. And so when I got back to the hotel and found Elliot, my coach, he reminded me that when we chose this race, you know, six months beforehand, it wasn't even a part of the conversation for it to really be a legit try at that qualifying time. It was just like, let's see what we can put together in this year. And we, you know, with the goal being to PR, but certainly not realistically being ready for the Mm -hmm. end goal of qualifying for the trials. And I needed to hear that and just be reminded that it was actually really incredible what I had done and that it just reaffirmed that there is a lot more in there to be excited about.
1: Yeah, this sort of thread of not wanting to feel like you're letting people down. Like even back to the beginning of the conversation when you were talking about colleges, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's something in that that seems like consistent maybe in your story. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so interesting what we expect of ourselves versus what like other people expect of us, what we think they expect Mm -hmm. of us, right? There's like just so much in there that – it almost never lines up. And for the most part, I would assume that you are not unique in that the harshest of those things (laughs) is what we think for ourselves. Right. And I know that it's not the same situation, but when you were talking about feeling the like apologetic, that's very similar to how I felt when I quit the PCT, Mm. you know, and like, it was a very similar conversation that Paul and I had that I had with other people too, that, you know, especially, you know, Anytime you do something publicly, right? Yeah. That you know, whether it's social media or you know, just friends and family, right? When you have said you wanted to do a thing, mm. and for whatever reason it doesn't go according to plan, there is this like humbling part of it, and yet again, for me, I have to go back to, and I'm not, I'm not putting this on you at all. Like this is 100 my stuff. That like I have to check myself of the arrogance of like, why do I think that I don't ever have to have obstacles or why Mm -hmm. do I think that it's going to happen for me the first time or the, you know, that like I get the Cinderella story. Mm -hmm. It's okay if other people make mistakes and like, yeah, we learn from failure, right? Like all those like cliche things, but like, I don't want to actually experience that. You know what I mean? so exhausting. (laughs) Right. But it it, it is sort of a check of like, okay, so it didn't happen the first time. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't like, I I feel like something it's so
0: ridiculous because I wasn't even really expecting it to exactly. happen the first exactly. time. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So that race was such a learning experience, and I'm really grateful for it because I, yeah, I just added a lot of tools to my toolbox, and it left me incredibly humbled and hungry to – try it again yeah so you get back from that race and you're like oh okay let's get back
1: to work a little bit like did that feel
0: daunting um well first I went to New Zealand for three
1: weeks yes you did yeah when I it was funny this was right around the same time like I quit the PCT right it was like the day you ran this race or something something really similar and then I came home and you weren't home yet Yeah. yeah
0: so I just you know full recovery and recharge just like recharging everything and then yeah, I was excited to come back and train again, train smarter, train harder, if that's what made the most sense and try again. How long did it take from coming back from New Zealand to qualifying? Almost a year to the day. Like that's
1: that's <laughs> wild. Again, I'm there's a lot in what you're sharing that I feel really grateful for, but just like especially the reality of how long things can take, right? Like I sometimes get frustrated when something isn't coming together in like a week. I know.
0: Right? Yeah. And
1: here you are saying, you know, it was from January till October for the first go around, Mm -hmm. right? Everything that went into that, right? Yeah. 11 seconds, all this, recover, come back. And then an entire year of daily work. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like just to underscore like that in itself, like the qualifying time is of course an accomplishment, but like Carrie, that's like incredible. To be able to like show up like that every single day, like that, like it makes me emotional. Like it's just this that we can't like phone in the things that we want to have happen. You either show up or you don't, you know, and you clearly did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I had planned to race a marathon in the spring of 2019. So, which would be more like six months after running Chicago, but had a little bit of an injury hiccup early that spring. And so, kind of readjusted, recalibrated, and And then, yeah, didn't end up running another full until fall of 2019. So it's kind of like one of the tragedies of the marathon is you can't do them very frequently. Right. It's not like a
1: 5K, right, where you
0: can race them a lot more often.
1: Yeah. And then – so I guess just – and we don't have to go into too much detail about this, but the race where you qualified, talk me through what was going on in your mind the last, like, two miles of that race. It
0: was – Like a crazy – I was so amped up and like confident, not in an overly confident way, but just like experiencing the joy of doing something I was totally ready to do. So it felt like a very loud, exciting dance
2: party. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, that – when you said before um, about Chicago that one of the gifts essentially of running, you know, whatever – like basically running the pace, Uh even if you missed it by a little bit, was, oh, I I believe that this is possible for me now because I just did Did it it. for the majority of this. Like there is something – when we talk about like the stories that we tell ourselves, when something seems impossible – Even if we think maybe we can do it or we want to try it. I mean, when you were talking about your nerves, right? How nervous you Mm were because the, the fear of doing something that you literally have never done before, right? Like putting your body in a situation that it has never experienced to that, like that's can be terrifying. And I would imagine that more of the confidence that you're talking about in this next marathon was like, well, it's not impossible because I've done it. Right. And then I trained another year on top of yeah. that. So like there is – it's almost like the gift of experience, right? Like once you have proven to yourself, oh, this mm-hmm. is possible, like it it, it like changes yeah. w- what happens yeah. next. Yeah. yeah,
0: definitely. And it was – you know, in the conversation before the race last fall where I did qualify, it was kind of like, well, do you – do we go with the – group of women that's running planning to run 245 or do we go with the group of women that's planning to run 237 like feeling like I could legitimately choose what type of race experience I wanted to have cuz I was ready for either one what made you choose the 237 group cuz that's a big that's A big jump, but that's a big jump. Right? I mean, you that had just PRed by 11 minutes, <laughs> right? Exactly, you had
1: just done this, you know, big PR, yeah. and then to be like, actually, let me try and do another seven or eight minutes faster, or whatever it
0: is. I, I mean, probably a bit of just kind of blind courage, and I just felt I just knew I was ready. I don't know, I had. Work, I worked really hard in 2019. I had a lot of incredible support to be able to do that. Um, after running Chicago, I joined Wazel's elite training group here in Bend, women's training group, Little Wing Athletics, and so had even more kind of structured team support and had gone to train at altitude last spring and just had done – just had added all of those extra things and just had a really good, joyful time training for this marathon. Um I mean, I'm not going to say that every day and every step was purely joyful in that training. But felt like I just – I really was happy and um knew that I had done a lot of really good work to get to that start line healthy.
1: Yeah. So – And I don't know if this was something you experienced or not, but you were talking at the beginning about sort of the like post-race blues, Mm -hmm. right? I feel like that can happen like whether something goes well or doesn't go well after qualifying Mm -hmm. for the Olympic trials, right? Where you sort of like the dream becomes a reality, Mm -hmm. right? Like this thing that you had been building up to, like you did it. What was the emotional come down from that? Was it like similar to how you're feeling this week?
0: I... It's not quite similar because I – that race last fall in Minnesota was magic. I mean, I ran that entire – from the start to the finish almost entirely with a smile on my face. And I knew that I was ready. I had great conditions. And I – Fucking crushed it. Like (laughs) It feels weird to just confidently say that, but I did. It was like one of those days that I will look back on and just marvel at. Mm -hmm. And I was ready for a break because I had been in a pretty hyper-focused state to get there for a while, both physically and mentally. So I was ready to kind of just check out and relax. And so I had about a month of no structure. I didn't run for a few weeks. And then I did, you know, ran whenever I felt like it or, you know, went mountain biking. And so really kind of just relished that break mm-hmm. until until I bro- broke my toe. Yeah.
1: I mean, this was the last thing. There's other things I want to talk to you about too, but the the really the last part of this story that I want to talk about, you know, because you just took us through this whole kind of like emotional ups and downs, but like yeah. – Trending upward, right? Yes. In the in the way, like meeting the goal, reaching the goal. You qualify, you're gonna be running in the Olympic trials yes. marathon, and then you have this freak accident in mm-hmm. the gym where you break your toe. That is correct. Like what?
0: What the fuck? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I and obviously things happen, right? Like it's yeah. one of those, but I'm interested what because you've mentioned before that after um, that first marathon that you added more tools to your toolbox. Mm -hmm. And I like this concept of thinking of whether it's coping mechanisms or like the way we talk to ourselves or Mm -hmm. like I'm interested in like the actual tools. And so if you could talk a little bit about like one or two things that either you already had in your toolbox that were helpful for you after you got Mm -hmm. this injury or things that you had to like adapt into sort of like how to weather the storm of disappointment when like something that you never could have seen coming, you know, all of a sudden is this huge obstacle where you're what a couple months out from
0: running this race and you break your toe. Pretty ill-timed. One thing that I'm really proud of is that I, I feel like through this process, especially in 2019, I I don't have any negative self-talk really about anything to do with my running ever is that and that's different from how it used to be um I think there was just more kind of questioning or you know second guessing myself but before the race last fall I did a lot of writing beforehand kind of reflecting on the training cycle and what I wanted the race to be like and just all this stuff and it was like 15 plus pages of writing and there wasn't one single negative thing that I wrote down. So I think that carried me a long way with this injury that I dealt with last fall. And another big piece of it is I finally truly believed that I was enough, whether I qualified or not. Like it was, I was validated in wanting to chase this goal. I belonged at that level Like it was, it was a worthy quest. And I think a lot of 2018, I wasn't quite sure about that. Well, I feel like that kind of self-belief comes through doing the thing. Yeah, totally. So I also kind of, you know, in the immediate critical time right after I broke my toe, I was very honest about needing help figuring out what to do. Or what not to do or whether I should just burn it all down and say, you know, there's no way that this is going to – there's not a version of this where it's reasonable for me to be ready to race in Atlanta. Because if that's the truth, it's terrible, but I want to just know that and then I can start to move on versus having to try to do this impossible thing. Mm -hmm. So having – Feeling like I could say that out loud and get guidance and advice from people that had either experienced something similar or had the expertise of how this injury works or whatever it was and just being very like – please help me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, the ability to ask for help, I feel like is like the
1: number one tool in the toolbox sometimes. Right. right? Absolutely. Being able to say like, I, whether that help is emotional support, whether it's, Hey, you know more about this than me, please help me decide what to do. Right. Like being, I feel like it's, it's really powerful to be able to acknowledge like when you're, you know, like too far in the deep end, Mm -hmm. you know, with something. And it's great to be resilient, which Mm -hmm. you obviously are, and to be able to be your own cheerleader and like all, like you said, internal motivation, all Mm -hmm. the stuff that comes from you. And that's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. So being able to have those external resources. And obviously what came of that was don't throw this away. There is
0: still a chance. And then I feel like I just kind of flipped the switch. I was like, okay, I will commit to – Eight weeks of cross training, eight weeks in the boot. Like I will put my head down and do what you're telling me needs to happen. And some of the cross training that you did seemed so it was grueling, so terrible, <laughs> and it got to like like I felt like I was a maniac in a way that was borderline not healthy. But, How so? Um, just I mean, there was a moment on New Year's Eve. When I was at the gym at like 6 p.m. And I'm like, I mean, it is just me and whatever other maniacs are left. And I was like, this is insane. Like I'm on my second or third cross training session of the day and I am drenched in sweat. Everybody else is out like celebrating the end of the year. And I am so desperate for this nightmare to be over. Like just get me through. Whatever the next 20 minutes of this hellscape is, so I can go home and just like try to get ready for whatever version of this I have looming tomorrow. And oh, <laughs> that's dark. <laughs> and, but it really like it helped me, like on a, for the most part, on a daily basis, like I could break it down and be like, this is what I have to do today. That's all I have to worry about. And, cause really, that's all we can worry about like we have no not much more control outside of that. And like it was, it was too much to zoom out and think of all of the things that I had to do and had to go right and needed to happen for there to even be a chance of me making it to the starting line of the trials, which was this thing that I had like worked towards and put so much emphasis on for so long. And so I don't, I think I maybe deviated from your question. I don't even remember the question. Who cares? We're talking about this now. It's great. Um, But it was, yeah. So just kind of managing it on a daily basis, I was pretty okay at. There were definitely days it sucked for sure. And then, I mean, time passed. Like it's crazy, but it does, it does pass. Oh, yes. And, and then I got to this kind of – I kind of like was like full steam ahead. Okay, I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to stay focused and positive and whatever needs to happen. And I was able to do that for – really well for about six weeks. And then I had a kind of a crash and a lull that happened right around the holidays. And I was like, I hate everything. Nothing's working. It's The x-rays aren't getting better. Like. Um, and at that point really, again, asked for help to reevaluate. And I was like, I can't be in purgatory forever. I'm not interested in maintaining this insane level of focus. And if it's like, I need, I need reaffirmation that it's still possible. And, and then I was like, I can commit to staying in it basically until like whatever X day is. And then I'm out. Like, I just can't from a mental health standpoint, Yeah. Um, It's not worth it. It's not worth my long-term health, like physical health to just limp through a race. Like that's not what I wanted that experience to be. Yeah. And then I think just the nature of the fracture and the injury. And I turned this corner and was incredibly lucky that the last six weeks before the race, pretty much everything Went about as well as I could have hoped with training. And the weather in Bend held out. I mean, like, I needed everything out of my control to go in my favor to get me to Atlanta. And in those last six weeks, that pretty much happened. So, whether that's luck or whatever, I don't know. But yeah, Oof. I feel like there's so much in there that we could dig into if we had <laughs> endless time.
1: That this, like, particularly what you said about you know, I can commit to this for this much longer and then I'm out. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think there's a lot of power too in deciding when enough, like what the enough point is to be, you know, I think that we really culturally glorify this, like I did whatever it took kind of attitude because those make really sexy stories, Mm -hmm. right? Especially when, you know, the ending is, and then I won this Olympic medal or I did, you know, that it's like, and I only got here because like I was, I always did every single thing. Like that sounds great. And sometimes like the, I don't even know, like I don't want to say the work, like the work, the agony, like the in-between sometimes it does, it does not justify the potential that means, ends, yeah. right? And that, that, right, that like means justifying the end. Sometimes they don't. And uh, obviously, for you, like you said, you turned a corner at the right time, mm-hmm. everything sort of lined up. Mm-hmm. But if it hadn't, I do think that there's a lot to be said. And I want to underscore your point that sometimes walking away. Yeah even if it's like agonizing and heartbreaking to do it, right. Whether it's like Mm -hmm. walking away from a job or from a goal Mm -hmm. or from a marriage or from like, like sometimes that's the right choice. Yeah. Sometimes you got to go. And it's like, what, like, I I feel like we're not like, yes, I believe in the kind of, we can do hard things. Right. And like resilience and that you test yourself and you Mm -hmm. get the best out of yourself. And like, I think that that's beautiful and worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And we're like, not here to like drag ourselves through like the suffering forever, you know, like just,
0: I don't know. Uh, Yeah. And it was kind of going back to, I think, part of what allowed me to have such a successful race in Minnesota last fall was just this full belief that I was ready and worthy and I belonged. And then kind of when I was at this crossroads of I may not be able to run this race that is – been on this pedestal and was like the thing that I was doing all this work for. And at that, that moment I had coaches and teammates and mentors and everybody else kind of reaffirm that it didn't matter. Like I, I was, I got the journey and I, even if I wasn't able to compete on that day on the race that kind of Jump started this whole thing that I was. There was way too much to look forward to to risk my long term physical health, and like I'd already gotten out of it what I what I needed. Yeah,
1: I mean, when you referenced our friend Lauren Fleshman a couple times, who's been on the show twice now, I think twice Um, a couple years ago. I can put links to her episodes in the show notes. Uh, She's wonderful for anyone who (laughs) does not know her, but you know. Something that I have heard her say in, you know, a couple of different, you know, contexts over time is the idea that like, it's a, it's not about the goal. It's about like who you become for having tried. Yes. Right. And I I think about that all the time that, which doesn't mean we can't be disappointed if the specific goal doesn't happen. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't aim for, you know, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. the specificity of the thing that we want. But the larger picture that you're speaking to is you already got out of it. What you you, you were changed a thousand percent by saying yes to this adventure. Yeah. 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 And I I think that even that is like such a helpful reminder, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we can't ultimately control if things go in our favor. Right, You know, there's, like, there's, out. there's only so right. <laughs> you can make all the lists you want. You still wind up at a different college, right? It's like, you just, you don't know, oh, like you can only control what you can control. Yeah. And so that reminder of like, there is a bigger picture yeah. here. Yeah. Speaking of Lauren, the last thing that I wanted to um, sort of ask you on this topic before we move on to something else, um, I haven't, been on social media, really, like Mm -hmm. much in the last however many months. And so it wasn't until today when I was prepping for this Mm -hmm. that I was on – Like your Twitter, your Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of going down the rabbit hole. And I found, um, and I can put a link to it in the show notes, the Twitter thread that that Lauren wrote about you before the race, Uh which was lovely. I mean, I full on cried. Like sat at my desk this morning. It was like an eight tweet thread, and I'm just like sobbing, right? So there's that. Clearly, I'm like somewhere in my hormonal cycle. Um, (laughs) But she said, Like she used a phrase that I'm interested to hear you talk about a little bit Mm -hmm. that she was talking about like you pulling up your anchor. Mm -hmm. Will you
0: talk about that? Yeah. So I had never heard her use that phrase before, but I really loved it. And the kind of context was that when she met me, I was kind of, you know, in a place of transition and trying to figure out what what goals were important to me, what work was important to me and kind of who, in a sense, who I wanted to be. And to pursue this goal of running required me to lift up my anchor and, and move <laughs> and um, kind of recalibrate in a very focused way that from the outside probably didn't make much sense. didn't make much sense to my family. It didn't make much sense to anyone that's following any sort of traditional life plan because um, I was 30 years old and had been married for over five years and maybe there were some things saying that I shouldn't put that much energy and effort towards trying to be an elite level marathoner <laughs> that that is something I hadn't done before. And then all of these really incredible things happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad that I lifted that anchor up. Yeah.
1: I I feel like that is one of those phrases that's going to stick with me for a long time. Just this visual of like even getting clear with yourself on what your anchor is. Right? Yeah. Like what are the things that are weighing you down? You know, are they things that are in your control, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes not. But in which ways are – in which ways – did you drop that anchor yourself? Right. And like, Mm -hmm. just kind of like, I feel like that's a helpful reflection process, you know, for me, for everyone of, you know, what is that anchor and what might be possible if you were to pull it up? Yeah. Yeah. And that idea of like trying to get the best out of yourself. Yeah. I feel a lot in your story.
0: Hmm. I think it's something that I'm very interested in. And I like all of the hard work that has to happen to find what the best version is. Mm -hmm. This might be like kind of a strange pivot question, but
1: sparking off what you just said of you're interested in kind of seeing what's possible or like what the best Mm -hmm. of it is and like doing the work. I feel like that's very clear in what we just talked about, about running Mm -hmm. you and Travis have been married 10 years now, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I'm interested how you feel like those like principles translate to your marriage
2: Mm -hmm. if they
1: do.
0: Well, I am very interested in seeing what the best, most interesting version of our marriage story is, and it's – a lot of interesting things have already happened. Um, So we – my husband and I met when I was still in high school. He was in college, so we've been together for – what is now half of my entire life, which is just crazy to say into a microphone. But <laughs> <laughs> so we've, you know, evolved as individual people a ton in that time, but I've also just kind of by nature interwoven together because we've been together for so long. And a lot of that time has been at least loosely structured on some crazy adventure that's happening. And we respond really well to that. Mm -hmm. So whether that be owning and operating a Canadian fishing lodge, moving across the country, you know, him. And then – and so there was, like, kind of this pattern of doing this really hard thing together, like, approaching this challenge together. And then when we moved to Oregon in 2017 – kind of like breathing a little bit from that and consciously me deciding to pursue this much more of an individual goal that he 1,000% supported and has been amazing the entire way. But it just felt very different from – a relationship standpoint, because we were I was kind of doing my own thing in a way that hadn't really happened with Mm us. And then he's kind of doing some of his own stuff. And then I kind of like I recognized last year that that was a strain almost for us. And something that it was just a thing we hadn't experienced.
1: That when you say a thing you hadn't experienced, you mean pursuing individual like goals that don't really have to do with yeah. the other person as opposed to a lot of the projects that you've done that have yeah. been more like you two versus the thing.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think either one of us would have said we resented what the other person was interested in or working on, but it just shifted how we interacted with each other. And then the other thing – that happened last year is we lost our dog passed away, uh, Cosmo, and he was almost 13. So he had he had always been there. Mm-hmm. And so just on a daily basis, our routine shifted overnight. And so at the end of 2019, I kind of had this like reckoning. That stuff felt different because it was different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it sounds so simple, but no, but I mean, it's true. I remember us talking about this when
1: you came to the retreat yeah. in um, Arizona in December of like, oh, things are different because they're different. Yeah. Things are
0: different because they're different. Turns out. Um, and so to kind of get insight that part of what has, led to us having such a strong functioning relationship is this, like, we're in it together. And so being able to say that to him, and surface-wise, like, things were totally fine and normal, and but, like, the connection had shifted because of, I think, some of those, like, I don't know base level things that were happening in our life had changed.
1: Yeah, I'm interested in hearing sort of about the like then what of that because I think that it would be really easy to kind of take the you know black and white approach of like well you know we had this really strong connection when we were doing these like really intense things together. Mm-hmm. So then obviously we have to blow up our lives in order to which of course is not what you chose right like yeah. if you're still going to be here. I'm interested in um like if you could give a couple examples of what some of the like five or 10% changes are. Right. Because yeah. I think that sometimes the answer is blow up the thing. Uh-huh. Right. And, you know, do an extreme fix. And sometimes it's like, well, are there, you mentioned low hanging fruit before with running, right. Yeah. Like, are there things that if I shift this by 10%, I shift mm-hmm. this by 5% that enough changes that I feel differently. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just interested yeah. to hear kind of what happened for
0: you guys. With yeah. That. And I think part of why, and it was like, Things had subtly changed very slowly over time and because we have been together so long and we are so incredibly comfortable with each other that like there was enough of a shift of like feeling of just kind of cohabitating in a roommate sense of like being very supportive and – but like not connecting Mm -hmm. in a husband-wife way or like in a – romantic partnership way. Which also is incredibly common, right? Is, like, yeah, you are like not the only all, ones. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and so then that just kind of – like, there are just all these little things that had like kind of started like seeping out. And then having this insight of like, we just need to come back together and we are on the same team. And so I had done this – I went to your retreat (laughs) and was very emotionally vulnerable in December and depressed because I had been in a boot for however many weeks and all the things. And then I came back and I was just like, this is gross and I'm really tired of feeling like things are off and being able to openly and honestly communicate with him Mm -hmm. is so huge. And feel like I'm actually being listened to and having joint like mutual interest and investment in working on the thing, which I'm so grateful for. And and then like actually getting our calendars out and saying we haven't actually been on a regular like date in what feels like entirely too long and part of that was because i was like no i'm in training mode whatever else (laughs) i'm at the gym at 6
1: p.m on new year's
0: eve leave me alone yeah (laughs) so it's not like i had been asking to go on dates and or one of us had been asking and the other person had not been yeah just fall into patterns so being very conscious and over the top deliberate like every week we are going to have a date night Mm -hmm. um and like and then that's not something that we have to earn. That's something that we have earned and should be fun and shouldn't be like, I don't know. It should like it's so ridiculous. So, and then with our 10-year anniversary, just kind of like playing that up in a way that made both of us uncomfortable because we're not big, flashy, make a big deal out of anniversaries or Birthdays necessarily and and similarly, like, oh, there's not enough time, or it's, you know, right after the holidays, whatever else, and just like splurging and taking the time off and going by ourselves to this place for three days and just having like being spontaneous and fun, like no expectations of like this has to be the perfect 10th year anniversary trip. Like that's not a thing that exists. So Yeah, I think it was huge for us to both admit that in our own ways we had been kind of sad and unhappy about certain things and then really feeling like we could, like we are a team, we want to work together and figure out what needs to happen next. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that, like, you can't turn the boat around without turning the boat around, right? You have to do something differently, yeah. which obviously you guys did and are. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Last couple of things that I want to ask you, we briefly touched on um sort of the saying yes to the adventure, right, mm-hmm. or saying yes to the pursuit of the goal. That seems to be sort of an operating principle of yours, mm-hmm. this idea of, like, saying yes to adventure and not waiting to do the thing that you love. Mm-hmm. When I bring that up now, especially on the heels of, you know, maybe the immediate running focus having completed, is there any adventure that you are thinking about
0: or that you would be excited to say yes to? Um, I've been kind of itching to have a big travel experience. Gap year, gap year. (laughs) (laughs) Which feels... You know, it's kind of challenging in the sense of it costs money and takes time away from work and other commitments. So I haven't really figured out how that's gonna happen. But that kind of goes back to, you know, Travis and I having the fishing lodge for eight years and doing some other kind of big life trip things, adventury trip things that for a long time we had structured kind of this seasonal existence that allowed us to kind of be in this very intense work time for a while and then kind of check out for a while. And after we moved to Ben, that went away and we've had more of a just kind of standard operating schedule, which has its benefits too, for sure. But I'm kind of been craving that kind of check out time Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I remember, I'm trying to think of the context of the rest of the email in which you wrote this and I can't. And so maybe that's relevant or not, but I very clearly remember you ended an email saying my current tagline for the year is 2020. Get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> yeah.
0: Tell me more about that. <laughs> um, so that may have been in the depth of my injury despair, but I think it was coming from. So I think there's a lot of hype around kind of a new year and a new decade and kind of resetting or, you know, resetting your goals or whatever it is. And I, for the most part, had an incredible 2019, and then it went down in a ball of flaming terribleness <laughs> <laughs> and um felt very unbalanced and so I was I didn't I didn't like thinking about 2020 like having to be whatever the perfect best version of a new thing is and so I'm just like I don't want whatever you're telling me this to be just like I know what I want and I don't need you to be in my way Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. happening.
1: Yeah. Again, it goes back to like defining it for yourself. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you wanted to touch on Mm. or mention before we wrap
0: up? I don't know. I feel like I could talk for so long. This has been so lovely. You know, I
1: feel it's, it's funny. My like in my mind list of things to talk about. I feel like we touched. Maybe a quarter of it, right? So perhaps we will do this again sometime. I was yeah. like, we didn't talk about your crazy rafting trip. We didn't talk about it. there's like so many other things that we could have talked about in your work, right? Your day job yeah. is a whole other right. thing that yeah. I have questions about. But yeah. maybe that will be a part two at some point. Um, well, as you know, the way that we end these episodes are with some hopefully fun, rapid fiery community questions. Great, Basically Let's everyone do it. this month is answering these seven questions. If okay. you're down for that, yes, mm-hmm. okay. What is your secret talent? Something unexpected that you're really, really good at.
0: Oh, well, (laughs) Um, I really love dancing and my secret dream is to be a backup dancer. And so maybe I can fool myself into also thinking that it's my secret talent. Oh my gosh, I love that. (laughs) You more than anyone that I know – have
1: so many like layers and undiscovered (laughs) pockets of things. Like, I feel like sometimes I'll learn something about you that I'm like, what? I think, I think it was at the retreat. When were you the one that asked the question of like, do you remember what your very first email address was? Oh yeah. (laughs) And yours was like Betty Boop something. Betty Boop. 86 86 and then it, you were talking about how much you love skydiving I feel like every time I learn something like else about you that I'm like this sort of tracks with everything else and sort of does it like the mo- it's like a, an incredibly delightful quality yay well that's so good. backup dancer why not yeah right? I am. this is what I'm saying uh, what's one of the last things that really made you laugh
0: hmm I I laugh a lot I try to this morning at the I went to the little wings track practice even though I'm on my kind of down week but um Lauren was dancing actually and so like everyone's in this very intense mental headspace of doing this hard workout and she just on her phone turns up the jams and starts dancing like a maniac which is a very Lauren thing to do and yeah I started laughing really hard it's <laughs> <That's> great
1: <laughs> what's something specific that helps you to stay optimistic when things feel hard
0: Thinking about my mom, I don't know why. I can't explain it, but that's just what I thought of. She often says, she has this saying, I might not get it exactly right, but if things haven't worked out, it's okay because it, it's not the end because at the end, I mean, I, there's something there. Mm-hmm, what is it? Mm-hmm. Um, does it all work out in the end or whatever it is? I feel like I now need to look up exactly what that phrase is, but she says it in a really beautiful, comforting way That's like, Okay yeah how do you define success for yourself right now showing up and for myself and for others and the stuff that for the stuff that matters what's your favorite snack oh my gosh all the snacks all the snacks you are a (laughs) snack lover for sure um well I've been really into popcorn lately 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 well yeah uh, forever anything with peanut butter, fruit, nuts, snacks all the time, so all food all, 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 all the things oh, yeah. all the time i don't ever I try to never leave like the kitchen essentially without a snack mm hmm For sure not the house. I feel
1: like that's a great (laughs) philosophy to operate by. Um, Next question is about books. Which two or three books, any type of book, any genre at all, would you say have
0: either had the biggest
1: impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often?
0: Mm. One of my all-time favorite books is Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer. And I really love the characters in that book it's a fiction book um Oscar schnell the main character is possibly my favorite book character anything else i feel like i should say a running book oh. i don't know i'm really excited about Lauren fleshman's book that she's currently writing i know so. i know me too i know <laughs> that when that one, when the I book know announcement came out I'm like this is going to be
1: so good yeah <laughs> Yeah. I love it. Um, last question. If you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves
0: or a small action to take? I would encourage people to either write a note or an email or make a phone call and tell someone in their community or friend group or whoever it is, um, that they're happy and proud and supporting the thing that they're doing. Mm,
1: I love that. What is the best place for people to find you and say hi? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? I am on
0: Instagram and Twitter. I think Instagram is... (laughs) I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I love that you don't even know your
1: own Instagram I, I will put links in the show notes basically just
0: my name but one of them has my middle name and one I of them I think Twitter doesn't. is the one that has your middle name okay there. we'll try this again I'm on Instagram and Twitter Instagram is Carrie Mac and Twitter is Carrie Owen Mac yes and I will put those links don't worry <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that if this was a test that's the question that you did not know the answer to um, Carrie you're the best thank you so much you're
0: the best
1: And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and for just being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of our Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my wonderful producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show and he just makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his other sound editing work at adamday.net. So go say hi. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. Hello. So we're going to do a round of honest rapid-fire questions if you're ready. I'm very ready. What's your recommendation for something to binge watch?
2: Ooh, binge watch. Okay, so I'm going to go a little bit my go-to, and I'm sure other people have seen this, but New Girl. Like, I don't care what it is, what day it is, but that show will always make you laugh.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I recently rewatched the first two seasons, which I think are, like, the pinnacle of New Girl, in my opinion. It went down quite a bit after that, but I forgot some of those early episodes, some of the plot lines are so funny.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do agree with you. Like, beginning, and it's like, okay, like, let me just get my beginning in, and then, like, then we can just watch other things.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so totally agree on that. What does the first hour of your day usually look like? Hmm.
2: I go to work. I start work at 5.30 in the morning. So my first hour of my day honestly makes... I roll out of bed. um, I make some coffee, eat a little bit of my chia pudding that I make every morning. Um, And then... I go to work and I meditate in my car for at least one minute and walk into work and start getting patients ready.
1: <laughs> I like I really like that you included the one minute of meditation because I feel like I'm the type of person who's like, if I don't have like 30 minutes, it doesn't count. Meanwhile, I've never meditated for <laughs> 30 minutes in my whole life, right? That's like one minute is good enough.
2: Literally, like I just started doing that this year and I was like, you know what? if I give one minute to myself, then that makes a difference. And it really has changed my morning routine. (laughs) Mm, Hell yeah. I love it. What's some of the best or most useful advice that you feel like you've ever received? Hmm. That's hard. (laughs) Um, I would say what do, what would you do with yourself if you didn't have any other, like any obligations? Mm. And think about, like, what you want your life to look like. And I guess, like, something like that, like, really brings in perspective, like, what I do want my day-to-day life to look like.
1: Yeah, I love that. What's something new that you would love to try this year?
2: Mm. <laughs> um, I really want to get more into paddleboarding. Um, my friend was like, let's go paddleboarding. And I tried it and I really enjoy it. And I guess there's like a lot of different places to go. So I'm kind of down to try and maybe go on a river or something.
1: <laughs> it's really popular here in Bend, stand up paddleboarding. And I still somehow have not tried it, which feels funny. I've been here for quite a long time, but I agree with you that it does sound fun.
2: I mean, yeah, sunshine and and water <laughs> yeah
1: totally so last question what's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about maybe even something you would like to hear talked about more on the show this year
2: i've been thinking about this uh coping skills like yes there is like i'm gonna take a bath and that's stuff def- i love baths definitely um but like on a day-to-day basis like What do you like? What do you do when somebody says something frustrating to you that you love? Or like, what about at work when somebody like when you get stressed out? Like, I'm a nurse and certain things happen. And I'm like, okay, like, I wonder how other people cope with certain things, you know?
1: Yeah that's a great question um and I feel like would be an interesting one to explore about lots of different topics almost like a you know if we're going to fill our toolbox with different right like coping mechanisms <laughs> yeah. and tools you know what what works for other people yeah that's a great suggestion So thank (laughs) you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you have made a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show.
2: Um, I first, the first thing I did was look up good podcasts to listen to (laughs) because I moved by myself. And then I found yours, and I'm really grateful I did, um, because you got me through plenty of times traveling around the country by myself. And the more I listened to your conversations, I was like, I really, really resonate with the people she's talking to, or um, it like pushes me to see different, um, different like situations. And so then, when you started offering the Patreon. was like yes like I actually like want to support something that I listen to every day and I like I feel like like very grateful that I can contribute to something like that
1: Hmm. yeah I love that I also love the feeling of being able to contribute to something that like has felt meaningful for me and I'm glad that that's been the case for you will you share where you live and then um maybe a social media link if you want if people want to say hi
2: Absolutely. So I live in, in Atlanta, Georgia, currently. My social media link, I'm mostly on Instagram. I actually don't post too much, but definitely would love to connect. I post a lot of food on my story, if you like that. <laughs> so uh, it's at Rochelle, R-A-C-H-E-L-L, Maxine... <laughs> that's it yeah yeah no love it (laughs) and
1: to everyone listening if you love the podcast if you want to help keep it going if you want lots of bonus content plus other fun opportunities and extras just go to patreon.com slash nicole antoinette to make your pledge of one dollar or more per episode your support is what allows the show to continue and it'll be a lot of fun to get to talk to you to get to know you better once you've joined our community so until next time here is a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can and no matter what we're in this together